0: Okay, we're going to start tonight in uh, Mark chapter 3, but actually we're going to spend most of the session in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start, though, reading two verses, Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Before we do, we'll have a brief word of prayer, but we'll start in uh, Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Father, thank you for loving us and for your word that you've given to us that we can learn from, uh, that we can help those around us that need help. Father, we pray that you'd give us wisdom, help us to discern your word, and to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read these two verses here. This is Jesus um, calling his disciples and giving them the mission statement of why he was calling them as disciples. Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 says, and he ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. Now, I'm not going to spend much time on these two verses other than to say these four things um, are the primary reasons why Jesus chose and commissioned his disciples to spend time with him. Because we can't help anyone if we don't have a strong, healthy relationship with God ourselves, with Jesus Christ. And he says, one, I'm calling you so that you can be with me. Number two, that he might send them forth to preach. The power that we have is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not in our own philosophies. It's not in what we read on social media yesterday or this afternoon. It's not in the self-help books. It's in Jesus Christ and the gospel that he's given to us. And then thirdly, he says, and to have power to heal sicknesses. Physical sicknesses, spiritual sicknesses, mental sicknesses, all of those, the world, all of us experience this because of sin. And Jesus said, I'm I'm ordaining you as my disciples to be with me. Um, I'm ordaining you as my disciple to help those who are sick, to preach the gospel, and then to cast out devils. To cast out devils meaning to help people spiritually who are going through very severe spiritual problems. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9 tonight. This is a, I'm not going to say that it's actually all happened in one day, but I'm just going to say this is a day in the life of Jesus here. Matthew chapter 9. This is actually the day that he calls Matthew to be a disciple, and this happens partway through the chapter. Um, We don't have time to read the entire chapter, but if you look at this chapter here, there's seven different types of people that Jesus is going to help. And this gives us a template for the type of people that are going to come into our life and how we can help them. And Jesus gives both practical and spiritual um, example and a template on how we can help them. The first uh, person here that comes to Jesus in verse 2, it says, And behold, they brought to him a sick man, or him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. Let me say the first person that comes to Jesus didn't even come of his own accord. And so the first group of people that we're going to run into that need help are people who can't or won't help themselves. So there's seven. This is number one. People who can't or won't help themselves. Um, How do we help these people who can't or won't help themselves? Well, I notice here in this verse it says... Um, they brought to him a, sick man, a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed, and Jesus seeing their faith. One thing that we can do to help people who can't or won't help themselves is to increase our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, there's nothing more frustrating than trying to get people to do something that they don't want to do um, or, or refuse to do. And so instead of wasting our time or, frustra- or getting frustrated on trying to force people to see it our way, One thing that Jesus commended here in these friends is he said, I see the faith that you have in me. And one thing that we can do to help those who can't or won't help themselves is to strengthen our own faith in Christ. Our faith should not be dependent on the actions or the disappointments that we see in other people. Um, And then also I notice here in this this first person that comes to Jesus, he doesn't address the physical problem first. He addresses the spiritual problem first. The sin. Um, And that's kind of unusual, maybe, when we read this story. The most obvious problem is the man has palsy, probably paralyzed and can't walk. That's why his friends brought him. And yet Jesus addresses his sin problem first. We have to understand when we're dealing with ourselves and with other people, the biggest problem that we have ever faced is our sin problem. It's not the most obvious thing that we may see in their life. It's the sin problem that we all carry with us. Guilt and shame can be replaced with refreshing cheer when we address the sin problem. And this is what we see here. Jesus says, your, "Your sins be, son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee." So we see here the man has an obvious physical problem, but it has uh, produced a mental, emotional issue, and Jesus addresses it by addressing the spiritual issue of his sin. All three parts of his body are addressed by Jesus Christ. Um, but I also noticed that not everyone is happy with Jesus' solutions. The scribes standing there say, this man blasphemeth. There's no way that he can be addressing the spiritual problem of this man. And I'll just say here that the world does not understand spiritual problems. They only see physical, maybe mental or emotional. They never, they never, they never consider the spiritual problem. So don't be surprised that when uh, you address someone's spiritual problem, the world, says, the world doesn't give you credit for that. It doesn't think that's important. Here, the scribes say, who does this man think he is uh, addressing his spiritual problem? Jesus addresses the most difficult issues and proves, you see in this verse, he proves by healing the external that he has the power to heal the internal. In verse 5, he says, for whether it is easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and walk. And so here, Jesus addresses the problem of a person who can't or won't help themselves. And the main point I want to get from this First person is, we can't force people. All we can do is increase our faith and be an example to the people that can't or won't help themselves. Next, those successful yet dissatisfied. It says in verse 9, As Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Um, Here we see Jesus interacting with a group of people that seemed to be successful. They all had jobs. They all apparently had enough money to throw a party. Um, They all had friends. They seemed successful, yet they had a deep dissatisfaction in their life. Matthew is sitting at the receipt of custom, and yet as soon as Jesus says, follow me, he gets up and follows him. Obviously, there was something missing in his life. His life was not fulfilled sitting there at the seat of custom. Don't be afraid to interact with those who have differing worldviews, values, morality, or life pursuits. We shouldn't be afraid of people that are not like us. Jesus was not afraid to address and interact with these people. Now, the Pharisees were judgmental of him doing it, but Jesus was not. But I want to point something out here. There's, the motive is given to us by Jesus why he um, interacted with these people. It wasn't because he wanted to increase his circle of friends. It wasn't because he wanted to be popular. It wasn't because he was looking for affirmation from this group of people. It says here in verse 12, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. And that needs to be our motivation for why we interact and help people that maybe have a completely different worldview than we do. It's not that we shun them and say, I don't have time for you, I don't want to talk to you. I don't agree with you politically. I don't agree with you on certain moral issues. I don't agree with you. I don't really have time to interact with you. Jesus did, but he had time with a purpose. And the purpose was to help those who were sick, not just to uh, increase his popularity. Um, And Jesus mentions here that mercy is a key ingredient to helping others in verse 13. He says to the scribes, Go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. The first step in having a satisfied life is understanding our inability to improve ourselves by ourselves, And that's the message we have to give to people who seem to have everything but yet are still dissatisfied. The message is we are unable to help ourselves. There is no path of life where I pull myself up by my bootstrings and have a satisfied life. It only comes through Jesus Christ. Number three, the confused and disillusioned. Um, If we look here, in verse 14, another group of people come to Jesus, and these are the disciples of John. Now, these are believers. They followed John the Baptist. Not John the disciple, but John the Baptist. But they didn't follow Jesus, they followed John the Baptist. And so they come to Jesus, in verse 14, and they say, Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft, but thy disciples fast not? So I categorize these people, they're confused and disillusioned, and many times they're fellow believers. They're people who have been burned. They're people who, um, I wrote down here, believers can find themselves disillusioned because the sacrifices that they're making are not appreciated, they're not reciprocated. And so sometimes we'll run into fellow believers and they're disillusioned. And here we have the disciples of John. They're saying, why are we fasting? Why are we doing all the hard things? And your disciples are just having a great time doing whatever they want. How come we're the ones stuck doing all the hard things of the Christian life? Now, Jesus answers these uh, men very, very carefully. Matter of fact, he answers with, with another question. So I wrote down here, correct, pers- correct perspective with a, cre- with a question rather than an accusation. When someone comes to us hurt like this because they're misunderstood or they're, they have a disillusionment about life, it's very easy for us to put our finger in their face and say, here's what's wrong with you, buddy. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't even really correct them uh, point blank. He actually starts with a question for them. He says, And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? In other words, what he's saying is no season of life lasts forever. Yes, you may be going through a season right now that is different than my disciples. But hang on. In a few short years, my disciples are going to watch me be crucified. And they're going to, their world's going to be turned upside down. And they're going to need someone to come alongside them and encourage them. And so Jesus, he's very soft with the disciples of John. He's not harsh at all. Now the Pharisees, the scribes, you read through this chapter, he's really hard with them. He's right to the point. With the disciples of John... He's very careful, and I think we should be very careful with fellow believers who are disillusioned. It's easy for us to become judgmental and say, well, you know, if you were more spiritual, if you, um, you know, read your Bible more, you might be able to see it from my perspective. But Jesus doesn't do that. Matter of fact, he, he, he answers them with a question, and then he gives them two parables. He takes a lot of time and effort to go through and explain why their season of life is different than the season of life of his disciples. Next, those with severed relationships. If we look here, as Jesus is finishing up with the disciples of John, we start in um, verse 18. He gets done giving these two parables, and it says, this is why I sometimes, when I read this chapter, in my mind, I just see it as like, Do you ever see Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, you know, where people just keep coming to the door, and it's like one thing after another? This is how I picture this chapter. In verse 18, it says, While he spake, so while he's finishing up with the disciples of John, another person comes to him. It says, While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. So I wrote down here, people with severed relationships. How do we help people with, how did Jesus help this man with his his daughter? Probably had a good relationship with her, and now that relationship is dead. Um, The daughter's not sick, she's dead. The relationship is completely gone. Um, I wrote down here, earthly status and our spiritual condition do not provide immunity from the grief of relational deaths. Look at verse 18 again. It says, a certain ruler worshipped him. This guy had his spiritual priorities right. He was worshipping Jesus. The man had status in life. He was a ruler. Yet those two things did not prevent him from having a death in the relationship with his daughter. So, earthly status, spiritual condition do not provide immunity from the grief of relational deaths. We are humanly, and this is illustrated here in this uh, episode, we are humanly powerless to force a relationship to live because by definition, a relationship takes at least two people, and we cannot control the other person and so this man comes to Jesus and says, "Can you help me? I cannot control my daughter she 's dead um, so how, how do I, how do I help? Um, I wrote this down here. There's another episode that actually takes place in between here, but we're going to come back to that. So let's keep, continue on with this r- ruler and his daughter. In verse 24, in 23 it says, When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, Give place. So I wrote down here, Give the other person a space of grace without continuing the past drama and hurt. As soon as Jesus enters the house, he says... Give the daughter room. Get the minstrels out. Okay, the minstrels were the people that were hired to kind of put on the show of the funeral. He says, stop the drama. This is, we're going we're gonna to clear out the house. We're going to give space, a space of grace for this girl. Um, only God knows, by the way, if the relationship is dead or just in a coma. Because we can't force other people to do our will, um, there's no way of forcing a relationship. There's no magic wand. There's no Bible verse you just read and it's better. So what we can do is we have to give it over to God. Only Jesus knows whether that relationship is dead or whether there is a future for that relationship. And we see here in verse um, 24, He said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And what did they do? They laughed him to scorn. So... Don't be surprised when other people doubt, but we give it over to God and we tell, we tell God, God, you know whether this relationship is dead or whether someday it will be revived. Um, one thing that Jesus does here is after they laughed him to scorn, in verse 25, he says, and when the people were put forth, in other words, when he kicked everyone out, when he took those scorners and he kicked them out of the house, he's like, okay, enough, get that out. And so I wrote down here, Remove cynicism from our hearts. Matthew 9, 24. And they laughed him to scorn, but when the people were put forth. You know, we may not be able to unilaterally fix a relationship, but we can remove the cynicism, the drama, the rehashing of everything that has happened in the past. This is what was going on in this house. Jesus shows up, and it is like a circus. Okay, There's people wailing, there's people screaming, there's flutes playing, there's people laughing at him when he says that she's not dead. And Jesus says, okay... Let's remove all the drama, all the scorn. Let's provide a space of grace and see if the relationship can be revived. And, of course, Jesus does revive that relationship. Next, those suffering silently. While Jesus is walking to the house to fix this relationship with this man and his daughter, another woman comes to him while he's walking. And so we pick this up in verse 20. It says, And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years, came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. I wrote down here those who suffer silently. This lady, she didn't go to anyone else. She wasn't like the ruler who said, I got a problem. This is that kid that sits in the class who has a problem but never will tell anyone. Um, this is the silent sufferer. And How does Jesus handle this woman? Silent sufferers do not seek attention, but that does not mean they don't want or need relief. Just because someone doesn't seek attention doesn't mean they don't need attention. And so Jesus here, the lady does not seek attention. As a matter of fact, we'll see here, there's very little dialogue that takes place between Jesus and this woman. We also notice here that silent sufferers internalize their problems. Look what it says here in verse 21. For she said within herself, She's having a conversation with herself. She doesn't have any friends to communicate with. By this time, probably 12 years, she's had this problem. Maybe the first few weeks, people were like, we'll come to your house, we'll make you a meal, we'll help you out. After 12 years, it's amazing. The problem is just hers to to carry and to bear. And so she comes to Jesus as a silent sufferer. Silent sufferers need an environment of help but often resent the direct approach of intervention. She doesn't come to Jesus and say, stop, I need your help. She says to herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, maybe that will help. She doesn't want anyone to know. She doesn't want to make a scene. She, and, and, and she just does it silently. Um, I wrote down, healing does not always require human intervention. Uh, Jesus, by the way, when he provided the help to this woman, if we look at this verse in verse 22, he doesn't even give her any instruction. What he says to her, the only words that come out of Jesus' mouth to her are, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. When we're dealing with someone who's silently suffering, they really don't need a lot of instruction. A lot of times they just need comfort. Um, They just need someone that that will listen to them, if they want to talk, and sometimes they don't even want to talk, they just need someone to provide comfort. And that's all Jesus did. He said, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole. He doesn't give her an instruction. He doesn't give her a parable like he did the disciples of John. You know, He doesn't go into a whole bunch of stories. He just says, be of good comfort, you're healed. Um, and I find that very interesting how he dealt with the silent sufferer. Next. As he finishes with the ruler, going back down to verse uh, 26, it says, And the fame thereof went, uh, and the fame hereof went abroad into all the land. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying, and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. Now, he deals with these two blind men totally different. I wrote down here, those who are demanding. Those who are demanding. They need help, but they're demanding. They're not about to silently sit by the side and wait for you to get to them. They are in your face, and they want help right now. That's these two blind men. If you see here, it says, uh, they followed him crying and saying, totally different than the lady. lady wasn't crying. No one even knew she was there. But these two men, they followed him down the road. And notice here, Jesus, he goes into the house. So it's like he doesn't even stop on the road. They just keep following him. They follow him into the house. Um, Some people make a public display of their needs, and they appear very forward in their requests, um, demanding people need to separate the public production from their personal problem. Jesus does not address their problem in the street. He says, you know what? We're going to separate this public display that you're making for everybody, and we're going to go inside the house, and I'll address it there. And this is exactly what he does with these two blind men. And what he does inside the house is he confirms that they truly want help, that they're not just in it for the production. Look at verse 28. He says, And when he came into the house, the blind men came to him. Jesus said unto them, he asked them a question, Do you believe ye that I'm able to do this? He brings them inside. He separates them from their crowd that they're kind of entertaining, kind of, kind of put a production on for. He says, okay, just you and me. Now, no production, no drama. Do you really want help? And sometimes with demanding people, we have to separate them from the crowd that they're playing to, and we've got to say, okay, do you really want help? Because I can help you, but do you want it? Or do you just want to put on a production here? And the men really did want help. Um, Demanding people need to participate in the process. Look at, what he, look at what Jesus does here. Then he, then touched he their eyes in verse 29, saying, according to your faith, be it unto you. Now, he's treating these two men totally different than he does the woman. He doesn't put any burden on the silent sufferer. But these two men, he says now, it's according to your faith. This is how healed you're going to be, according to how much you believe. So he puts the onus almost on them, to say, how much do you want to be a part of this process? Don't be surprised. We'll see this in a minute. Actually, let me read the verses here near the end. It says, And their eyes were opened, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. Now, Jesus couldn't be more, you know, straight and forward with this command. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. Don't be surprised when demanders disobey and are disruptive. You can help them. They will probably accept your help. But don't be surprised when they continue to be disruptive and disobey you. Um, by the way, all kinds of people need help. The way that we help people or why we help people is not because they obey us. It's not because they comply to us. Not because we can get control over them. We, we help people because they need help. And so this is what Jesus is doing. Next, um, got five minutes left, four and a half minutes. Those who are spiritually sick. In verse 32, this is the last person that comes to Jesus. And they went out. Behold, they brought to him a dumb man. In other words, one who could not speak, possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. Spiritual torment is what this person is undergoing. Now, it manifests itself in a physical problem. He couldn't speak. But at the heart, it was a spiritual, demonic problem that this man had. Spiritually sick people can seldom verbalize what their issue is. And we have to be aware of that. People who are spiritually sick do not come up to people and say, I'm spiritually sick, I need spiritual help. This man could not verbalize what his problem was. But Jesus could see it's a spiritual problem. By the way, spiritual friends are essential in the healing of spiritual sickness. Look at in verse 32. It says, They brought to him a dumb man. Someone saw the need and brought him to Jesus. Just like the first uh, man who uh, had the palsy. And by the way, once this man is healed, clarity is restored to this man. Now he can speak. Now he understands. Clarity was restored when the spiritual issue was addressed. And... there's always misunderstanding from the unspiritual, by the way, when someone is spiritually healed. It's interesting to me, not a lot of people said anything about the silent sufferer, or the two blind men, or the ruler and his daughter. Now, they were doubting, but they didn't say much. Even John the Baptist's disciples. But the first man who Jesus addressed a sin problem, and the last man who has was demonic the scribes and the Pharisees they couldn't stand the fact that Jesus was healing spiritually because the world doesn't understand that if you want you know if we could touch someone and heal them of cancer that would be great the world would applaud that but you try to address a spiritual problem in people's life and the world is like mm, i don't i don't think so we have to be ready for that let i just want to close by saying this in the last 2 minutes in these last 2 three verses of this chapter, Jesus says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted, and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. After this long day of one problem, one hurting person after another, Jesus says to his disciples, What do you need to help people? One, you have to have compassion. Um, He was moved with compassion on them. He looks out and he just sees this whole harvest of people. And he says, the harvest truly is plentiful. There is no shortage of people that are hurting. That's not the problem. The problem is that there's a shortage of laborers to help them. The need, so one, we need compassion. Number two, the need is unending. And number three, it requires two things here. And they have to work together. He says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. Pray for what? Pray for laborers. It requires both prayer and work. Work is not enough. You can't just, we can't just work people out of their problems, but it requires work. You also have to use prayer. It's both a prayer and laboring. Both of those things work together to help people. Um, James talks about if you have faith and you have no works, your faith is dead. But by the way, if you have just works and you never take these problems to God in prayer, then you're just doing it in your own power. And we, don't, we ourselves don't have the solutions to the answer, uh, to their problems. It is His harvest, not ours. Without Him, we can do nothing. And this chapter, Matthew chapter 9, seven different types of people that are going to come into our life that we can help. Let's go ahead and pray, and then you can go on to your next session. Father, thank you for loving us and for what you've given to us in your word that we can learn from it, we can study it, we can apply it, and we can help others with it. Help us to be your tools. Help us, give us wisdom to know how to, how to help people. And uh, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.